this time, we will dismiss young children to children's worship and also dismiss for junior church. Those who wish to attend a service in Spanish, we will have that as well.
thought I was named Mike. And I was like, no, it's Kent. I was gone one week and you forget my name? Am I good? All right, you've got me. Okay, well, I'm Kent, for all of you who don't know my name. And I've been thinking about joy this week. What it means to be joyful and what it means scripturally and what it means as Christians to do that. Because there's uh, always been a connection between joy and the birth of Jesus in this season where we kind of think of that. And, you know, historically, uh, Jesus was probably born in the spring, but we've kind of come to celebrate it, obviously, in December. Uh, And so as we get into this season, we think about joy. We sing about joy. And we do so because the Gospel of Luke tells us, There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. We just reflected on what that would have been like. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. They were terrified, but the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The shepherds are out in the field taking care of their sheep. And and what happens next is that the glory of the Lord shines all around them. And I don't know what that moment would have looked like or felt like other than they were terrified. And, And I think it's remarkable and worth noting that that's their response. Because I think when we imagine, can you imagine what it would be like to be in the glory of the Lord and have it shining all around you? We kind of think, man, I I think that would be great. But what these shepherds were was terrified. There's something about the glory of the Lord exploding around them in the middle of the night that made them fearful for their own lives or fearful about what was happening all around them. And then an angel appears and tells them that good news is coming. That word good news there is the same as uh, our word gospel. When we talk about the gospel, that is the good news that is being declared by the angel to these shepherds. He says, here's the good news. There's a baby that's been born that's going to bring joy and peace and hope to all who are in the world, to all people. This is good news for all of the people. And not just in in that village, not just the Jews, all people, all people then and now. There's this expectation that when people hear the good news that was first sung by these angels and this heavenly host to these shepherds in the field, that their response to that good news is joy, is happiness, is this this overwhelming sense that this is good news and that it cuts through all the bad news of the world around us. Uh, So we sing every Christmas, joy to the world, the Lord is come. We started our worship with it this morning. Let earth receive her king, and every heart prepare him room, and let heaven and earth rejoice. There's this, this call that as a result of this baby Jesus being born, that the whole creation, that all of both heaven and earth should rejoice, and every heart should make room for 
this baby boy who brings all of this joy to us. But what is biblical Christian joy? Uh, This week, as I I would kind of do studies and researching about what people would say, what I would find over and over again is, is this definition of Christian joy that would say something like, you know, Christian joy is different than happiness. You see, happiness is based on what happens around you. It's based on your circumstances. So if good things happen, you're happy. If bad things happen, you're not. And so happiness is kind of a fleeting, coming and going thing. But joy is this deep, inner, abiding thing that Christians have as a result of their union with God because of Jesus. And and that it's this, this joy that is within us. And it's not based on your circumstances. So in the midst of suffering, you can still have Christian joy. In the midst of grief, you can still have Christian joy. And, and I've been wrestling with this all week. Um, here's some quotes about Christian joy. One of them is from a guy named Alfred Plummer, and we'll talk about him a little bit today. A, a great preacher and commentator on Scripture uh, from about 100 years ago. Uh, on one occasion, commenting on 1 John chapter 1, he writes that joy is that serene happiness, which is the result of conscious union with God and men, of conscious possession of eternal life, and which raises us above pain and sorrow and remorse. A serene happiness. Donald Campbell, another uh, minister who is well known for many years, writes that the chara, the joy, chara is the Greek word, describes a deep and abiding inner rejoicing which was promised to those who abide in Christ. It does not depend on circumstances because it rests in God's sovereign control of all things. And I'm a little bit, I've gotten a little uncomfortable with some of these definitions and sermons and articles and teachings. And and here's why is that when we're reading Alfred Plummer's definition, he describes it as a serene happiness. It's this peaceful happiness. It's this calm happiness. And the thing is that when I think of people being joyful, it comes out of them. They smile a lot. They laugh a lot. The, The joy isn't just deep within. It comes out. It's expressed. And so when we look at, uh, the definitions in English, English dictionaries talk about joy as extreme happiness or great happiness as a result of good things happening to you and you evaluating your world to, have, uh, to needing re- to respond to these good things. Uh, social scientists admit that it's kind of hard to quantify joy, but generally speaking, what they do is they say uh, it's like happiness, but it, it adds a really big exuberant smile or it adds laughter or giggling, or it adds uh, bouncing or movement and excitement. And so there's this this kind of weird tension that I've been wrestling with all week. And and Leah's tired of hearing about it because I keep telling her I just can't can't quite get my head around this. Because here's the thing. Christian joy is, is so rooted in our eternal relationship with God that it's not affected by the circumstances of our life. 
But I can't help but think that if we're that happy, if we're that joyful, that it should come out of, of hiding every now and then. That it shouldn't be deep, deep down, I've got the joy, but on the surface, I'm mostly serene. I'm mostly ordinary. I think we need to reclaim the joy that those shepherds were promised in the fields that night. So the word itself, joy, comes from the verb rejoicing. It's the noun that that you get, the thing you get as a result of rejoicing. And, And I just, I don't know why we have felt this need to push joy so far down that it doesn't sneak out ever. But we do that a lot. And so here's a picture of Alfred, Alfred Plummer, and I don't mean to, to make fun of him, and he's a great Christian leader and speaker, um, but I don't think any of us, if we were titling this painting of him, would title it Joy. Rejoicing. I just, serene maybe, he's got that part down. And and I'm, again, not poking fun at him because the reality is that even this morning, as many of us sang out loud, joy to the world, we looked a little bit like Alfred. I know. Watch out. And the claim is that when the Bible talks about joy, this is how it describes it. But but look at the psalm that was read earlier today, Uh, Psalm 98. Uh, let me turn over there. When you get to Psalm 98, listen how joy is described. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel, to the, all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. The scope of salvation is worldwide. It is the entire universe. It is all of creation. And as a result of that, and, and, and think about how this is similar to what the angels told, uh, told the shepherds. We bring to you joy for all people, good news for all people, the ends of the earth receive the salvation of our God. Therefore, shout for joy to the Lord. All the earth burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. This isn't little joy. This is universal, loud joy. Who's excited? The rivers are clapping. The mountains are are celebrating. All of the world is joyfully responding to the salvation that God brings. It is explosive joy. It is beautiful. And there's not this sense of um, deep, deep down is a joy that surpasses all of your circumstances. That's true. But it's, it's loud. 
And this is in the Bible. And so we see that biblical joy can be on the outside and liberated and free. And, and I do need to stop for a minute and acknowledge what Chris talked about at the beginning. Christians can be sad. Christians should be sad. When you're in a season of grief and loss, if you're just running around laughing and smiling all the time when you've lost a loved one or you're trying to find a job and you can't, that anxiety of that is, is your circumstances are lousy. Being sad and talking about that is the powerful healing power of grief that God gives us. It's good to do that. I'm, I'm not saying that if you're in Jesus, you have to be happy all the time. What I am saying is that for those of us who have heard the good news, that heaven has this expectation that that good news should produce in us joy. So that the default setting for us who know that the good news is real should be joy. And sometimes earth and life knocks us off of that. And in those moments, we still have this joy within us that, that even in the midst of the suffering and the loss and the anguish, we can acknowledge the brokenness of this world and still be joy-filled that God's putting it all back together in his own way. We, we don't have to be naive about bad things. But when we evaluate ourselves... And we find that the default setting for our attitude is more characterized by those emotions and feelings that are in opposition to joy. If you find that you've come to a place that, that, that whether things are going good or badly in your life, that you are more defined by skepticism and cynicism and melancholy and grumpiness and apathy or rage, if that's, that's your default, if all things being equal, you're kind of slipping into those things and not all things being equal, slipping into an overwhelming filling of joy in your heart. I think you need to reevaluate what you're letting influence your heart. I think you need to, to look at why you're moving into these characteristics that are not of the good news, that are not of Jesus and his reign in this world, and that are not of the Holy Spirit. And, and here's, the th here's how I think this, this should work. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you remember what it was like to be young and in love, okay? For some of us, it's a long, you know, long time ago, far, far away, right? Uh, and some of us in the, in, in the room, hanging out in the youth group section, uh, are, are smiling and thinking about someone right now, okay? Young love is such that if you have someone that you've had a crush on for a long, long time, and you find out from a friend of a friend that they like you too, you're walking on cloud nine. You remember that feeling? And, and you go and you talk to them and that the energy and the electricity that comes from that interaction of being like, I like you a lot. And they're like, I like you a lot too. And you schedule that first date for this Friday. You can be walking later that night and stub your toe. And you're like, that's all right. My toe hurts like crazy. It might be broken, but I got a date Friday night <laughs> with her. Toe gets better. You could lose your job on Thursday. Lose your job and you're going to go, boy, 
If I had to choose between being employed and not having a date tomorrow and being unemployed and having a date tomorrow, I'm winning. I've, I've got the winning lottery ticket because I've got a date coming up tomorrow night. That is uh, the temporary joy of young love. But if we understand the good news that God with us was born in a manger, if we understand the good news that we used to be in darkness, but now Jesus brings the light, we can stub our toe and lose our jobs. And at the end of the day, all things considered, I've done the math and we've got the winning lottery ticket. And so it's, it's okay to go through the stuff. The joy sustains us through the loss. You can be sad, but, but man, it's different. And there's a, there's a guy that has written a song about that. Uh, his name's Andy Grammer, and I'm a big Andy Grammer fan. I've seen him in concert twice this year. Um, he has a song called Joy, and it talks about this overwhelming joy that comes from being in love that gets you through the bad stuff. And here's some of his, the lyrics of this song. He says, me and fear, we had a thing in 1993. Fear told me I was wasting my time with all these silly dreams. I dated doubt, she knocked me down every time I tried, but I found joy in my life. He's talking about the struggles of being an artist that wants to make it and he just doesn't. And then he, he has a, a verse that says, Sorrow swept me off my feet in 2009. And if you know his story, that's when his mom died. He says, I took long walks on the beach next to the oceans and we cried. And grief, she came and overstayed way longer than I'd liked. But I found joy in my life. And he gets to the chorus and now he's singing not about the loss and the suffering and the struggles. He's talking about when he met his wife. He says, I found joy and joy opened up my eyes, gave me wings and halo rings and taught me how to fly. I feel like a million lights. I found joy in my life. And I got me like, yeah, 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 oh, 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 I've got joy in my life. Because when you're joy-filled, you make weird sounds in your song lyrics. And, he, and even, after, even, even after he found this love, even after he found this joy, he says, pressure still pushed me to the edge. She worked me to the bone. Jealousy, she lied to me, said I needed things I don't. Shame, she had a way to make me hate myself inside. But in the midst of all that, I found joy in my life. And even in that relationship, later in the song, he says, there were days I didn't know if she would pack her bags and go, but that's my girl forever, though, and she knows, she knows. I found joy and I kiss her every night. She gave me two more of her and I can't believe they're mine. His family has become for him this source of incredible joy that gets him through the arguments and the struggles and the pressures and the stress and the, the doubt and the shame, all of it. And, and I love it because what he's saying about his marriage should be true about our relationship with Jesus that it doesn't mean the pressures don't still happen. It doesn't mean that things aren't still hard, but I've get found joy in my life. Now, here's what Andy Grammer looks like when he's singing this song. And I've seen it, uh, I've seen him in concert twice. Do you believe that face that he's got joy in his life? He's pretty happy. He's pretty happy. Um, his concerts are awesome. Leah and I went to one in Tulsa, and we're like, we've got to take our kids to this. And so we t the next one we could get to was on vacation uh, up in Wisconsin. We flew up there and went to a concert. 
And we wanted them to feel this joy that he's expressing through his singing about family and marriage and his wife and his daughters and all of these different kinds of, of things. And I, I believe that even though he's not a Christian artist by any means and that he's not on Caleb or anything, how much is this a parable for the kind of joy that we should have because of our relationship with Jesus? And so what I want to ask you today is this. When you hear the news that Jesus was born in a manger to bring hope and peace and joy and love to the entire universe, salvation to the ends of the earth, which of these guys do you look more like? It's fair, but it doesn't feel good. Because I think if we're all honest, there's times that, that we're praising God while looking a little bit more like Alfred. And I think if we can embrace this joy and increase our joy, that we're going to find that our relationship with Jesus is better. And the other thing that you're going to find is that you're going to enable the Holy Spirit to do what it's trying to do in your life. And here's what I mean when I say that. Uh, I want to ask today, how do we increase our joy? And I want to give you two answers. Um, the there are 14 times in the New Testament that the word joy, it's overall it's in there like, the word joy is in the Bible like 60 times. It's a big deal, joy. There's 14 times that it's next to the word filled. Not like a little bit deep down somewhere inside you. Filled with joy. And there's this connection repeatedly between being filled with the Holy Spirit and being filled with joy. And so in the book of Acts, when it's talking about the disciples and their ministry, it says the disciples were continually filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. You see that connection there? Yeah. Romans 15 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Romans, his prayer is that you get so full of the Holy Spirit that hope and peace and, and, and joy overflow in you. You're just overwhelmed with the joy. Galatians 5, this is the fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is, and the fruit of the Spirit's not an apple. If you want to be an apple, you might say, here you can't be fruit of the Spirit, right? We know this. The fruit is what the Spirit produces in you. The contagious character traits of God dwelling inside of you in the Holy Spirit is going to grow in you love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if you live by the Spirit, you keep in step with the Spirit. So here's the thing. If you're a Holy Spirit-filled person... The Holy Spirit is seeking to create joy in you. A joy that is so overflowing that sometimes it bursts out of you and other people can see it. A joy that, that, that exists in good days and bad days. You can be happy and sad, but the joy still bursts through because your stubbed toe doesn't compare at all to what God's done in your life. And so here's... If you're someone that says, man, in my spirit today, I find that criticism and cynicism and rage and anxiety are the dominant characters. I think you need to ask yourself, 
What circumstances are you allowing to produce that in you that causes you to resist what the Holy Spirit is trying to produce in you? And then you need to start letting the Holy Spirit, and you can just ask. Over and over again, the Bible tells us, ask and you will receive. Ask Jesus by the power of the Spirit to begin giving you the joy, the overwhelming response to the good news of Jesus' birth, crucifixion, and resurrection is joy. Just say, Jesus, I need that, that response to get bigger and all of my responses to the negative circumstances of my life to get smaller. And then I want to give you another practical piece of advice on how to increase joy in, in your life. And that is this. There's, um, there's a guy named Daniel Quisiere. And he works for Yahoo Labs in Barcelona. So he works uh, previously on Yahoo Maps. And so if you're someone that, that uses a map to get from one place to another ever, he's one of the guys that helped develop the technology that does that. And one day he's riding his bike from his home to where he works at Yahoo. And on his way there, he says, you know, every day I go the same path. He's an engineer. He's designing efficient maps. He goes the shortest path from point A to point B every day. He's figured out which way it is. That's the way he goes. But one day, he does this crazy thing where he steers his bike into a different direction, just a couple blocks, not enough to make him late, but enough to just change the view. And what he finds is that he's suddenly on this peaceful, tree-covered street. And he's struck by the beauty of it. And he's struck by the quiet of it. And he's struck by how happy he feels. And he gets to work about two minutes late. And he's happy. And he realizes that for the past several years, he's been designing technology that is intentionally reducing people's happiness in the name of efficiency. And so he walks in and he gets his team together uh, and they say, you know, how can we change the algorithm to instead of choosing efficiency, uh, to choose a path of happiness? How can we change the algorithm to change the path to the, the path of greatest quiet? How can we change the algorithm to give us the path of greatest beauty? And in four or five different cities, they actually created these maps. Uh, so here you can see the shortest path, and then here's the most beautiful path, uh, the quietest path, and the happiest path. And they used all kinds of different data points to quantify these things in ways that only people that work on Yahoo Maps could do. And then he begins to say, what if we all started taking a path two minutes longer that brought us more happiness? And what I started wondering is what if we all realized that the pressures and the distractions and the burdens of our lives are pushing us into the most quick and the most efficient path through life. And it doesn't just affect how we travel through a city. It affects our conversations. If our desire is to have the quickest conversation, we are not going to have the most caring conversation. If our desire in our meals is to get the quickest and cheapest way to consume the calories that we need to give our body fuel, we're not going to sit around tables and build relationships. 
There's something about cooking a meal that I think is like gardening and that just connects us to God in some way. We were created to work, and there's something about that that, that connects us, not just to God, but to the people we cook and feed uh, at a meal. There's something about sitting around a table and removing the distractions of this world and eating slowly that connects us to each other. What if uh, when our time in the car was spent having conversations with the other people in the vehicle or someone that we haven't talked to for a while on the phone instead of listening to talk radio or podcast or music? What if we said, I've got 10 minutes I can give to a grandparent or a grandkid or a friend that I've been praying for and need to tell about it? What if in our exercise, we walked around lakes instead of treadmills? What if in our faith, we focused less on rules and attendance and to-do items and made more room for the Holy Spirit to produce joy in our lives? There's so many things in this world that are crowding out the joy that the Holy Spirit's trying to produce in us. And I think we need to evaluate what we need to do to open up room. Joy to the world. Let every heart make space for Jesus. If you do, the Holy Spirit is going to come into that space and produce in that space joy. A joy that is so overflowing that it's going to even come out in your smile, your laugh, your voice, your treatment of others, your experience of the world. An overflowing joy. A joy that can be seen on the inside and the outside. So my prayer for you this week as we head towards Christmas is that anytime you think about the good news that Jesus Christ was born in a manger and that unto us a Savior is born, that you are filled with joy, that your heart leaps with joy, enough so that you might even smile. And thank the God who gave you a Savior worth worshiping and rejoicing about. If you're here this morning and you want to receive this joy, it's there. You just have to receive the gift that God's promised. He's promised that if you want it, you get in Jesus. And if you get in Jesus, you get the Spirit. And if you get the Spirit, you're going to be filled with joy. If you need to respond to that invitation, please come forward this morning as we stand and sing.
I really loved that lesson, Kent. A few years